Welcome to the Rock Christian Church Podcast. Today's message is My Plan, God's Plan by Rob Wilson. I need to apologise to the people of Tasmania because it's been a long time since I preached. But last time I preached, I tried to make a joke about Sean, Sean calling himself the normal one. And in doing so, I ended up sledging the entire state of Tasmania. So I do want to apologise for Tasmania for Sean. <laughs> um, no, for the fact that uh, in, in my attempt to make a joke at him, I, I uh, may have put some of our friends from, uh, from the other state offside. I can imagine we've had fairly, uh, fair numbers of uh, exports out of Queensland that if we were all judged by them, uh, you know, we wouldn't be looked quite so favourably. So apologies to Tassie. Um, and uh, my intention, of course, was to have a dig at Sean. Sean, I was going to say he gives as good as he gets, but actually he probably gives better than he gets. Uh, he's pretty good at it. Uh, we, we love him. We miss him dearly. I hope he has a great holiday. Um, and uh, anyway, so you get to listen to me for the time being. Last weekend, Louise and I had a wonderful privilege of going to our goddaughter's wedding. Um, and uh, it, was, it was a really special day. If you remember, though, last Saturday, if you can think back that far, it was pretty wet, right? And they had organised an outdoor wedding. Um, it was uh, out at Mount Cotton at the uh, Rainforest Gardens, which was a beautiful venue. Um, in fact, our son got married there a couple of years ago, and so it was lovely for us to go back to a venue that had special memories attached to it. But I'll give you a little hint. If you organise an outdoor wedding and the venue's got the name Rain in its title, don't be surprised if it's a wet wedding, okay? So the Rainforest Gardens lived up to their name, and it absolutely bucketed down. But, you know, thankfully, the worst of the uh, rain was over by the end of the ceremony. Um, and, uh, but, you know, literally, as the bride arrives, it, it was torrential, and they quickly had to uh, scamper around and reorganise where everything was positioned so that we could all be undercover. It made it very intimate that we're all under a little um, shed that they had there and were able to do the ceremony. And it was such a lovely event. Um, and uh, so, yeah, we really enjoyed that. But you think about it, there's a lot of expense goes into a wedding. Um, there's a lot of planning. It's, it's no wonder that some people can get upset when things don't go according to plan. I'm not saying that that, didn't, uh, that, that happened last week. Uh, they, everyone had a great time. It was really enjoyable. You could, but you can understand that when you put such effort and money and, and investment into it that, and things go wrong, people can be quite upset. There's been that TV show about bridezillas. There's certainly lots of stories, if you read the internet, about uh, you know, relationships that are busted up over just how invested people get into that. And their behaviour becomes quite, uh, quite abhorrent at times. You know, so, and, and to be fair, life over the last couple of years has been really quite difficult. Um, you know, so uh, we, we're aware of quite a number of friends who's, um, so we're at the generation now where our kids and all of their uh, friends are, you know, partnering up and getting married. And so quite a number of our friends have had, their, their kids had planned to get married in the last couple of years. And then, you know, the, the day of the wedding, everything's locked down and allowed to do the ceremony they planned. They've had to reschedule multiple times. There's been a lot of really difficult times going on. I can remember Sitting back at the end of 2019, through 2019, I had quite a difficult year personally. I had surgery that year. I had a, a, a trip in an ambulance to hospital that year. I had some ongoing health issues and it had been quite a difficult year. And I remember getting there to New Year's Eve 2019 and thinking, oh my gosh, what a difficult year this has been. I can't wait for the new year and what, you know, what new adventures might await, only to find that 2020 was stalking ready to punch me in the face. And, uh, and you know, so we, we've all been through some difficult times. Um, 
There are times in life where things don't go as we hope or even plan. No matter how much we want, we want something to happen, maybe it doesn't happen. And what's worse is sometimes the thing that we least want to happen is what actually happens. All right. Now I'm not talking today about trivial examples like you, you know you say sporting teams. You know your favourite sporting teams. If you're in Queensland, imagine you know New South Wales winning the state of origins. One of the most awful thing that can happen to Queenslanders. Um, but but you know there are more important things in life than that. Um, you know. But you know you can. Some people they're so invested in that that if if the team that they hate the most wins the premiership, they they go into depression. <laughs> um, you know, or, or that player that they can't stand if they get player of the match, that you know they're walking around with a sour face for the rest of the week. All right. You see, at the wedding last week, as it, it was a it was a beautiful day, but it was a bit wet. So uh, you know it was a minor inconvenience in the grander scheme of things. Something the bridal couple didn't want, certainly. They were, they were hoping that it would be a nice, bright, sunny day. But, but in the grander scheme of things, it's not a massive deal. But, you know, there were some things that really hit home to me. At, at the wedding, our goddaughter was walked up the aisle by her uncle Rick, not by her father. And the reason for that was her dad passed away when his wife was expecting who got married. She was only, you know, she was seven months pregnant, so she never got to meet her dad. And and at the wedding, there was also a couple other family members of the brides and of the grooms who had passed in recent time, in the last couple of years. And so there were people missing. You know, so, so there are things in life that cause frustration or cause, um, cause us to be concerned about some things that can be trivial, but other things really matter. And And so sometimes when things happen... It can be a massive life-changing event. So I could ask the question to everyone, and I, I reckon I know what answer we're going to get. You know, have you ever planned something? Have you ever planned something you really wanted, only to have it not come to pass? Or even still, have you ever, you know, planned something you really, really uh, wanted, and and the opposite happened? Right. So not only did did it not happen the way you wanted, but the exact opposite happened. Right. And and. Everyone I reckon here, you know, some of you are going, hello, where have you been the last couple of years? That's been the story of my life for the last couple of years, right? Um, and, uh, you know, we, we've all been in that situation, right? Things don't always work out the way we want them to. Occasionally they do, but they don't always. I've got to say that sometimes even we as the church, and, and talking corporately, um, have been responsible for maybe disappointing people with wrong expectations. See, there's been people over the years who've been sold a brand of Christianity that's, that's not reality, that, that, you know, come to Jesus. And, and, and a bit like what um, um, Steve was talking about at communion, that they might say, come to Jesus, he'll take away all your sins, he'll take away all your pain, he'll take away all your problems, and you'll never have a problem again. And as wonderful as that might sound, that's not reality. And so there are people who, it talks about uh, in the parable of the soul when Jesus was sharing, those who, who receive the word, you know, greatly, but then the worries and the cares of the world choke it up choke it away. And I think those are people who've been sold a wrong gospel that they, they think that once they become a Christian, everything's going to be sweet. But they don't. once the rubber hits the road and things happen that are difficult, uh, it, it questions their belief. Now, there are people who think of God as some sort of celestial Santa Claus who exists to answer every woman cry. And if you listen to their prayer life, it's just a wish list. God bless me with this, bless me with that. And, and, and that's their whole concept of what God is like. And yet, um, that is not the case. Um, in reality, 
God has plans for our life. And he has plans to, you know, to prosper us and not to harm us. But it doesn't mean that every circumstance along the way is going to be favourable and going to work out good. God wants us to have joy in our life. Um, and I think the world focuses on happiness. Happiness literally is, is a response to a, a you know, positive circumstance. Literally the word happiness, the, the, the hap part, you know, we, we know about mishap or happening. And, and when there's a positive event happen, we have a positive emotional response. That's happiness. But God wants us to have joy in our life. So regardless of the circumstances and situations we find ourselves in, we have joy because he's given us his Holy Spirit presence within us. So, but when it comes to pursuing God and his plans, some people try desperately to run away. Some people try desperately to run away from him and from his plans. There are two kinds of people who run away from God. See if you fit either of these. There are unbelievers and then there are believers. (laughs) Two kinds of people who try to run away from God. Okay, So for unbelievers, there's so many people these days who try to deny the existence of God. They'll believe anything as long as it avoids having to have God in the picture. So they would like to call themselves naturalists. Um, probably in, we would call people atheists or even anti-theists, people who are anti-God um, or don't believe in God. But people who hold that belief would call themselves naturalists, that they believe that everything has occurred naturally without the need for divine intervention. And they criticise what we believe. Um, they, they, they think it's illogical, the notion of God. Yet the very fact that there are scientific laws, the very fact that we can do experiments and have predictable outcomes shows that there is indeed intelligence in creation, that God has designed things um, intelligent. It's not a random process that, that anything could happen. We know we can follow the scientific laws and things will happen the way they occurred. So uh, that's actually, to me, far more logical, the evidence of God. Um, but uh, we need to be mindful in this environment, when we're coming across people who, who are perhaps even very anti what we believe, remember that the Word of God says we wrestle not with flesh and blood, but with principalities and powers. Our fight is not with the person. There's the concepts behind it, but each person Jesus died for. Each person, no matter what their view, no matter what their belief, no matter what their lifestyle choices or practices, they're not the enemy. They're people that Jesus loves and died for, and, and they're people we need to be trying to reach. In this day and age, however, when someone puts forth an idea that others don't agree with, there's seldom a reasonable discussion. There's seldom an exchange of ideas. Typically, what you see is people posting stuff, you know, posting their opinion on social media, and then others who sit back in the privacy of their of their home, ripping into them if they disagree. And and so there's this. It, it, rather than a an exchange of ideas and, and uh, you know pleasant disagreement, perhaps at, at times we see so much tension, and unfortunately Christians aren't exempt from this behaviour. I've, I've witnessed it myself many a time. Unfortunately, I'm going to share today about someone I've never preached about before, um, and it's looking at Jonah, looking at the life of Jonah, someone who wanted to run from the plans of God. See Jonah suffered from despising the people that God wanted to reach. He, he hated them and, uh, because they were his political enemies, if you like, and he didn't want them to receive the salvation. He didn't want to see them turn. Um, and so he put his own political and personal views over the plan of God for his life. 
So just to build in some context before we look at Jonah, we're going to focus on Jonah 1 this morning um, and then briefly look at some aspects of the rest of Jonah's time. But um, just to build in some context, in Jonah's time, there were very few prophets available at the time. So, so we live in a time after Jesus came, Jesus said to his followers, he said, you are better off that I go because I will send another comforter, a counsellor, uh, the advocate, the Holy Spirit. He, and he gave us the Holy Spirit to, to live within us and to, to be with us all the time. When you go back to the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit would visit upon certain people and they would prophesy and they would speak the word of God, but they didn't have the infilling and indwelling of the Holy Spirit with them all of the time. And so um, there were a few people who were prophets uh, at the time. So Hosea, Amos and Jonah were, were the, the only three men prophesying to all of Israel at the time. Jonah was popular with his contemporaries, with his, um, with his people. He'd gained a good reputation among the Hebrews for his word uh, because it had come true about the expanded kingdom and about prosperity. They were living in pretty good times at the time. They were, they were well off. They were doing pretty well. Um, and they were God's privileged people, and they liked it like that. They liked the special status that they had, the prosperity they had, the peace that they had. And so the Assyrians, and when, when God's call was to go to Nineveh, they were their political enemies. They were uh, people they didn't want. They were people who were threatening their, their lifestyle and existence. Um, so you can understand why Jonah wasn't thrilled with God's orders. Even though it concerned a harsh word against a huge enemy uh, Gentile city, Nineveh was the lead city of the Assyrians, Jonah knew that God was loving and forgiving and the last thing he wanted was to see a bunch of Gentiles get in on the kingdom blessings by repenting of their sins. So his own personal beliefs and opinions were getting in the way of God's bigger plan. So what we're going to do is we're going to look through um, Jonah chapter 1 and I'm going to sort of read through it and then stop along the way and, and share a few thoughts and insights along the way as we go. So we're looking at Jonah chapter 1 from verse 1. It says, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry out against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. So Nineveh was, as I said, the capital city of Assyria and the Assyrians were the political enemies of the Hebrew people. So Jonah was given the call by God to go and speak to that city, cry out against it. Okay, so they were pretty wicked people. Now we can probably imagine again to today's day and age, there is a whole bunch, it's pretty easy for us to imagine wickedness going on. There's a whole bunch of wickedness going on around us, okay? and But Jonah's call was to go there and to speak out Against it, but Jonah didn't want to see them spared by a loving God. He wanted them to face what they deserved. Right? They were a wicked people, and he wanted them to face his idea of what justice was. So his response, we're looking at verse 3, it says, But Jonah arose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. So, so God said, Go to Nineveh, and Jonah went, I'm going to Tarshish. All right? and, and so he wanted to disappear. He wanted to try and get away. He was heading in the opposite direction. Now, it was quite a journey to get to Nineveh, and he was heading, as far as he could think of, the, the wrong way. So it says that he went down to Joppa, found a ship going to Tarshish, and so he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. So Jonah was committed to running away. Like he, It cost him a fare and 
from the research I've done, it would it would have been a fair amount. It would have been quite a lot to to pay to to get um, yeah in the wrong direction away from the call of God. Um, so he had to pay the price. He had to pay a significant price. You know, the call of God for all of us, the, the call to follow Jesus is intertwined with the call to live sacrificially. However, it's possible to sacrifice things that don't move us closer to God. Okay, um, you know, he, he was paying the price, but he was paying a price and trying to move further away from the call of God on his life. We must ensure that our sacrifices truly have gone God-honouring purposes before taking action. Um, yeah, we've got people in, in our midst and uh, who, who give sacrificially, who, who um, you know, love to be able to bless other people and, and invest into the kingdom and invest into purposes, and, uh, and that's great. But we can also be paying a price and sacrificing things that are actually trying to run away from God. Um, you know, it says in 1 Samuel 15:22, to obey is better than sacrifice. So much better for Jonah had he have obeyed than the sacrifice that he brought. John 14, 15, you know, the words of Jesus says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. You know, the, the heart of God is about us being obedient rather than about paying the price and, and then having to, you know, get back later on, to back into the purposes of God later on. Proverbs 21, 3, it says, to do righteousness and justice is more acceptable to the Lord than sacrifice. So even where um, Jonah was interested in a type of justice, um, it, it, God's was righteousness and justice and the combination of it. Um, that's more acceptable to, Lord, to the Lord than sacrifice. I want to ask you this question. When you make a costly decision, do you invite others into your decision-making process or do you, habit, do you have a habit of doing this on your own? There have been times where I've made significant decisions. Normally, uh, since, certainly since I've been married, Louise and I normally make those significant decisions together, so we'll talk about it. But on the big decisions... We will get, it talks about in the Word of God, having a multitude of counsel, or there's wisdom in a multitude of counsel. And so those big decisions we want to share with other people and get advice from other people before we make those big decisions. Um, and it can be so easy to um, think you're going to make the right decision and head off in the wrong direction, and then it's so much harder getting back on track afterwards. So we're now up to verse 4. But the Lord sent out a great wind on the sea. Notice that it says the Lord sent the wind, the great wind on the sea. And there was a mighty tempest on the sea so that the ship was about to be broken up. Okay, so the Lord sent this storm. It was a massive storm putting them all in peril. The start of verse 5, Then the mariners were afraid and every man cried out to his God and threw the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten the load. So this storm was a doozy. This storm was massive. Seasoned sailors were afraid for their life. Okay, it says they emptied the cargo. So you think about that, that's that's their belongings that they've got stored down and they're like chucking all of their belongings and their possessions out to try and keep themselves alive um, because of this storm. That is a pretty um, significant storm. I personally am not much of a sailor. I'm not much of, I'm not really good on the sea. When I go out on the water, my friends call me Burly Bob because I spend my whole time when I'm fishing with my body over the side of the boat providing the burly for all the, to try and attract all the fish. Okay, I, it doesn't take much. I literally have been fishing on a river system on a calm day. The water was still, it was like glass, and I'm still over the side of the boat 
chucking my guts up. It was horrendous. I'm not, I'm not much of a seaman, right? So, but imagine these guys are seasoned sailors and they're frightened for their life. I can imagine that's a pretty severe storm. Second part of verse 5. But Jonah had gone down into the lowest parts of the ship, had laid down and was fast asleep. Isn't that nice? <laughs> so the captain came and said to him, What do you mean, sleeper? Arise, call on your God. Perhaps your God will consider us so that we may not perish. Remember, they'd already been praying to their gods and got no answers. Why? Their gods were all deaf. They (laughs) didn't exist. They weren't alive. They weren't real. At least Jonah had the right God. Now, just on this point of him sleeping, it's not uncommon for people to experience physiological side effects when something in their life is unhealthy. Okay, Uh, That's quite common. But the absence of indigestion or or a sleepless night um, shouldn't give us complete confidence that our direction is perfectly aligned with what God is asking us to do. Uh, I imagine that anyone who stepped out in faith and followed God, there can be a real um, tension that can go with that. We can be absolutely in the call of God and still feel some tension. The fact that Jonah was sound asleep while everyone else is... um, uh, worried for their life doesn't mean that he was in the will of God and he was relaxing, you know, peacefully, right? Um, you know, so um, Jonah managed to fall into a deep sleep while his shipmates were being terrorised by the storm. But we should be careful not to elevate feelings of peace or comfort as the primary indicator that God is pleased with their actions. I do think in, in a lot of uh, big situations it, it, you can be guided by the peace, but it's in the context of, you know, you've sought wise counsel, you've, you've talked with other people, you've prayed about it, and you know you're heading in the right direction. God will give you a peace at that time. But uh, it, we, we, this is a very different situation to when Jesus was in the storm and fell asleep on the boat. Jesus had said, Let's, we're going to go to the other side, and then he fell asleep. His word, the word of God, was <laughs> that they were going to go to the other side, and Jesus fell, in, uh, fell asleep completely at peace. I think Jonah's sleep was a very different situation, even though it might look similar. So be careful not to fall into that. It could well be that the obedience to God will cause us to experience feelings of trepidation. All right? So think about the hardships that the Apostle Paul endured. He, he went through some, some real trepidation in being obedient and following the call of God. So it's important that we listen to what our bodies and emotions are telling us, but we must take God's instructions as our ultimate guide for taking action. In other words, listen to your heart, but don't follow it at any cost. So I've had times of peace about big decisions, knowing they're right, but I've also had times of restlessness when I've been doing exactly what God's called me to do. Similarly, uh, you may have peace, but it might be a sign of a hardened heart. When people stop trying to seek the will of God, they they might get a sense of some sort of peace, but it's actually a sign that uh, they've they've just hardened their heart to, to be able to hear from God at all. So again, a question. Can you think of a time when your feelings moved you away from an action that God asked you to take, something to consider. Verse 7, They said to one another, Come, let us cast lots, that we may know for whose cause this trouble has come upon us. So they cast lot, and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, Please tell us for whose cause is this trouble upon us? What is your occupation, and where do you come from? What is your country, and of what people are you? So he said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord the God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, Why have you done this? For the men knew that he fled from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. Then they said to him, What shall we do to you that the sea may be calm for us? For the sea 
was growing more tempestuous. So you notice that the words that Jonah said, he, when they asked him where he's from, he said, I'm a Hebrew and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. That's, that's his response. Sounds pretty good, doesn't it? But there's a mismatch between his words and his actions. He says the right words. He says that he fears the Lord, yet he's running from the Lord and from his purposes. He's doing exactly the opposite of what God had instructed him to do. Um, there's a big mismatch between his words and his actions. Um, you know, and, and quite often, I, I believe it's possible that we say the right words, <laughs> but when we, if we examine our heart carefully, that we know we're actually might be just trying to you know, give lip service, but we need to walk the talk. Okay, not just walk, you know, not just say the words. We need to walk the talk. We need to talk the walk. We need to do it all, not just uh, say the right thing and head in the wrong direction. See, ironically, he states to them that he belongs to the people of the one true God and that he's a worshipper. He's bragging about being uh, being a Hebrew and, and about being, uh, you know, a believer in the one true God, yet he's out on the boat running from God while his brethren are worshipping, you know, the, the, the Gentiles who were the sailors immediately made the connections and they were terrified. Jonah had already told them he was running from God, but now they realise that this must be the one real God since all their appeals. Remember it said earlier in verse 5 that they'd been praying to their own gods and they got no answers. And then he's talking about the one true God and they realise that um, he must be the one true God and they were, they were frightened because all of their appeals to their false gods had failed. So again, I want to ask the question, do our words flow from our actual beliefs and intended actions or do we find ourselves saying things just because they sound like the right words to say? Verse 12. And he said to them, pick me up and throw me into the sea. Then the sea will become calm for you. For I know, this, I know that this great tempest is because of me. So notice that even when confronted, I believe Jonah didn't want to take responsibility. He recognised that he was responsible. He recognised that the tempest was there because he was running from God. He recognised what to do, yet he still didn't want to take responsibility. He said to them, throw me into the sea and the sea will become calm. Um, you know, so, so he despised the, the Gentiles so much that he wanted to run away from God's plan, but he still wasn't prepared to take full responsibility for his actions. And, and I find it interesting when you see the response of the sailors after that. It says, nevertheless, the men rode hard to return to land. See, they showed greater character than Jonah did, despite the fact that they knew he was responsible for the tempest. They knew the way that they could do it. They still did everything. They'd already chucked all of their own gear out. They'd got rid of all their belongings. They'd, you know, Everything they probably owned would have been, I imagine, on the ship with them. Um, you know, those seagoing people, they chuck everything out and, and now they know if we chuck this guy out, but they didn't want to throw him out and, and kill him. They wanted to, they did everything they could in their physical power to try and get to land to beat this storm and it still wasn't working. Right? The men sacrificed everything they owned to try and save their lives and Jonah's, and Jonah wouldn't sacrifice anything to see hundreds of thousands of lives saved. Quite a mismatch there. Continuing verse 13, but they could not, they couldn't outrow the storm, for the sea continued to grow more tempestuous against them. Verse 14, therefore they cried out to the Lord and said, We pray, O Lord, 
Please do not let us perish for this man's life and do not charge us with innocent blood for you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So now we have the Gentile sailors praying to the Lord, praying to the one true God. (laughs) So earlier they were praying to their own gods, they were deaf. Now they're praying to the Lord and, and they're now ready to finally hold Jonah responsible. He still didn't jump overboard knowing that, you know, that would have fixed things, okay? He was the cause of the tempest. Verse 15, they picked Jonah up and threw him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Okay, so remember when Jonah had been confronted, he said, you throw me into the sea and the sea's going to stop, the storm's going to stop if you throw me into the sea. Imagine what that would have been like if you were in this incredible storm, you know, clouds, lightning, thunder, whatever, the storm raging, the sea's absolutely, you know, flowing. I've been... Imagine if I was there, I'm over the side of the boat. <laughs> right? It's splashing everywhere. It's, it's a horrible situation. And then they throw Jonah into the sea and the sea calms. And I'm like, wow. Imagine the fear and trembling they experienced knowing the one true God and had just answered their call, answered their prayer. Right? What an incredible experience it would have been for them. Okay, and it says that, verse 16, Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly and offered a sacrifice to the Lord and took vows. The Gentiles repented. Jonah was having an impact on the Gentiles despite himself. He was reluctant and yet somehow effective. Verse 17, Now the Lord had prepared a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. So I'm going to skim over the next couple of chapters but um, and, and do a little bit of a, a flyover for you. See, in, 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 verse, in chapter 2, Jonah's inside the belly of the big fish and he he repents. Um, And that's good. (laughs) He was spared and and God got the fish to vomit him up on shore. Okay. Um, In chapter 3, Jonah again is called to Nineveh and this time he's obedient. And and it says his message, it took three days for him to walk throughout Nineveh um, because of the size of Nineveh. And this is what he said. And if you look at Jonah 3, Verse 4, it says, And Jonah began to enter the city on the first day's walk. Then he cried out and said, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. That was his message. Right? A, a message of judgment. Right? You guys, so he didn't even, it wasn't the backstory, it was just, that was it. Again, I, want, I, I try to visualize, I try to picture what that's like. He'd been inside the big fish for three days. My wife doesn't like eating fish because it stinks. Right? Even after it's been processed and cleaned and everything else, she just doesn't like the smell of it. Right? You imagine what he smelt like, what he looked like, three days inside the fish with fish guts and you know the, the whale or, or big fish is eating other stuff. There's all that there with him, right? And and the gastric juices would have probably bleached his clothes and probably his skin and hair, and he would have, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I like to picture things like, you know, I'm going to start, anyway. <laughs> but, but yeah, that's right. <laughs> when you come out of that plane in 24 hours, and, yeah, anyway, um, it would have been pretty, like, so, so when he arrived, he would have been quite the sight. And, and then when he said that, it made an impact, you know, because normally when I read those words, yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown, I'm like, ooh, you know, not, not doesn't have quite the same impact. But you imagine this dude who's been, you know, stinks of fish and looks like he does and smells like he does coming out of the fish and they go, whoa, okay, 
something big is happening here. When he says those words, it, it really makes an impact. Okay? Um, and, and, and they responded to that and, and, you know, so they did the whole sackcloth and ashes and, and, you know, a repentant heart. In Jonah chapter 4, we see that Jonah was actually ticked off that the people of Nineveh repented. <laughs> and by this time, Jonah's frustration had boiled over into anger and a request to die in Jonah 4.3. Jonah rejected his assignment to Nineveh because he didn't want to see the Ninevites spared. That's, that's pretty powerful, I reckon. His desire for justice as he defined it, right? not, not as God defined it, but as he defined it, he wanted justice superseded his desire for people to be saved, which was God's ultimate goal in this story. And I thank God for that because God's heart, okay, Jonah had this idea that, hey, we are the people of God. We are God's chosen one. But God's heart was for all humanity, which includes us, thankfully, right, to, to be saved, to be spared, that God's heart was for everyone to come to him. And, and so it was much bigger than what Jonah's uh, concept was. And... Uh, you know, so can you think of a time, question again here, can you think of a time when your desire for something to happen, even if it was honourable, became more important to you than what's closest to God's heart? I actually think that's quite common these days. I believe people put their political views, their social views, higher than God's plan at times. There are times where people are attacking people rather than us sowing seeds and and trying to make, you know, trying to uh, help bring people closer to Christ or come to, to know Christ, people are attacking people over ideas. People are attacking people over, over beliefs and practices and, and lifestyle choices and things like that. Um, you know, are we putting those things out that, that we might hold dearly, and they might be, sometimes you might be right, but you can be wrong in how you express being right. You know what I mean? Um, I think it's quite common these days. Now, this whole passage of Jonah is, is, is one that's treated by a lot of people uh, as a, a bit of a myth or a legend, by, particularly by non-believers. Many people ridicule it as impossible, yet only a few years ago, I think it was 2016, there was a, a Spanish fisherman swallowed by a whale and survived three days, and he came out and said it took him three days to get the stink off him, you know, three days of washing to get, to get right. He wasn't in a very good position uh, situation when he coughed up, when he was coughed up. Um, the Coast Guard had given him up for drowned, and he survived for a few days there. Uh, 2021, there was an American lobster fisherman swallowed whole by a whale, but he had a he was scuba diving. He had the big tank on there, and it probably irritated the throat or something, and he got sort of um, spewed out a bit quicker. I didn't want to say. <laughs> it's not really easy to say politely, is it? So out he went. But, you know, it's maybe only a minute or so in there and he came out without any injury and, and told the tale and he had friends who witnessed it. So, you know, um, there's been other reported cases over the years of people surviving such, a de- um, such an ordeal. Skeptics always minimise the implications and believers use it to confirm the biblical narrative. And, and I think as mythbusters would say, it's plausible. <laughs> All right? apart, apart from the Bible, as yet there's not conclusive historical proof that Jonah was swallowed by a fish and lived to tell about it. However, there's some really uh, interesting corroboratory um, corroboratory evidence. In the 3rd century BC, a Babylonian priest and historian named Berosus wrote wrote of a mythical creature named Oannes, who, according to Berosus, emerged from the sea to give divine wisdom to men. Uh, He was like a fishman creature. 
the name that Barosus gave him, Wanus, literally translates as Jonah. Nineveh was an Assyrian city. So what this essentially means is that Barosus wrote of a fish man named Jonah who emerged from the sea to give divine wisdom to man, which is, I believe, a remarkable corroboration of the Hebrew account. And given the Assyrians' worship of Dagon, and Dagon was mentioned a number of times in the Bible, um, and, and the depiction of him was as a half-man, half-fish kind of a character, um, it's quite feasible that the account, the, the true account of Jonah got blurred with the pagan beliefs of the Assyrians over the years. It's interesting to note also, see, Syri- um, the, the city of Nineveh was, was destroyed and was lost for, for about 2,500 years. When it was rediscovered, it was found buried in the vicinity of uh, Mosul um, in modern-day Iraq under some mounds, and the name of these mounds was, now forgive my uh, pronunciation on this, but uh, Kayunik and Nabi Yunus. Nabi Yunus happens to be Arabic for the prophet Jonah. So where they actually found the site of Nineveh, the name of it in Arabic was Jonah. So again, to me, they're incredible confirmations of the truth and validity of Jonah's life and and the adventures that he had. But the greatest confirmation for me comes from Jesus himself because Jesus spoke of of Jonah's ordeal as a real historical event. He used it as a... um, uh, typological metaphor for his own crucifixion and resurrection. As Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will stand up at judgment with this generation and condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and now something than, uh, greater than Jonah is here. That's from Matthew 12, 40, 41. So Jonah's a good example of the believer trying to run away from God because he knows God is good. And the answer God wants to bring to sinful people isn't one that he likes. But this kind of wayward running usually ends in a dead end. Um, there was a, uh, an illustration of, a, of a, a, a meeting that wasn't going real well. It got really heated. And it was said that um, a, a guy, Dr. Mortimer Adler, suddenly left the discussion group um, at, 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 a, at this meeting and he was quite disgusted and he, he went out and he slammed the door after him and one person trying to relieve the tension remarked, well, he's gone, to which the hostess replied, no, he isn't, that's a closet. <laughs> <laughs> I reckon that's a bit of a metaphor of us when we try to run away from God. We, you know, we think we're going to get away and do our own thing, and, but we're trapped in there. You know, we've got to come back, listen to his voice and, and follow See, Jonah understood that these wicked enemies of Israel might repent. And if so, God would be good to them, which would make him as a prophet probably look bad to his own people because they loved him because he'd given good and favourable words to them and he had a good, you know, he talked about prosperity and peace over them and they liked that. And I, I think he was afraid of actually just giving, a, you know, seeing the implications of, of those turning their heart. But this was jealousy at work with the Hebrews enjoying the blessings of God as a special people. They didn't want anyone else to cash in on it, especially not the Gentiles. As I said before, thankfully, that's been God's plan plan all along. Once they were secure and strong, they were supposed to be doing missionary work, taking God's uh, message to the nations of the world, which is the commission that he's given us and that Stewie talked about earlier. Jonah refused to be the missionary of the Gentiles, but thankfully for us, Jesus paid the price for us all. 
all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ for those who believe. Jesus has called his own band of followers, opened the door for all of us, all who believe, to be a part of his family. That's such an amazing story. Jonah was a reluctant prophet, yet the mercy of God shone through him. Isn't it incredible that he, he ran away from God, he repented in chapter 2, but even when he got there, he was still reluctant, he was still actually pretty ticked off that, that he was effective. But God can use, if God can use someone who's so reluctant to, to share the word and he can use him so powerfully, what can he do with us if we willingly go with him and, and, and do what he's asking of us? Okay. Jonah needed to repent. He literally needed to turn around. He was heading the wrong direction and he needed to turn around and go in the direction that God had called him. You know, turning around is good. <laughs> I, I, I was talking about a wedding before. You know, there's a time where, where uh, I remember when, when I got married and, and you're standing there with your mates and then you, you hear the commotion, you turn around and there's a beautiful bride walking up the aisle. You know, turning around is good. Okay, um, Turning around to repent is amazing. Right, where, where you're heading in the wrong direction, you're heading in your own direction, solving your own you know, situations in life, but you turn towards God. That's a beautiful thing. Um, turning is good. If you've been running from God, you can right now repent and turn towards him. If you've been putting your own desires, values, beliefs ahead of obedience to God, you can right now repent and to, uh, turn towards him. I, I, I want to finish with this story. When I was doing my research on this, I came across this story and it really struck me. It says, it's a true story. Between two farms near Valley View, Alberta, you can find two parallel fences only two feet apart, running for about 800 metres. Why are there two fences when one would do? Well, back in the day, two farmers, Paul and Oscar, had, agree- had a disagreement that erupted into a full-blown feud. Paul wanted to build a fence between their land and split the cost but Oscar was unwilling to contribute. Since he wanted to keep cattle on his land, Paul went ahead and built the fence anyway. After the fence was completed, Oscar said to Paul, I see we have a fence. What do you mean we? Paul replied. I got the property line surveyed and I built the fence two feet into my land. That means some of my land is outside this fence. And if any of your cows set foot on my land, I'm going to shoot them. All right. Oscar knew Paul wasn't joking. So when he eventually decided to use the land adjoining Paul's for pasture, he was forced to build another fence two feet away. Oscar and Paul are both now gone, but their double fence stands as a monument to the high price we pay for stubbornness. I'm going to be honest, I think there are times we're building walls, we're building fences with people that we should be reaching in a similar way. I think that's a powerful metaphor of what can be happening when we, you know, our, our fight is with principalities and powers, not with people. And when we're picking fights with people, we're creating a barrier that's preventing them from coming into their fullness of, of the knowledge of Christ and, and the release. You know, it doesn't matter how hard your heart is. We look at Saul of Tarsus when he had an encounter with Jesus. He was so determined to kill Christians because he hated them. He had an encounter with Jesus, totally changed his life. And when we put anything be it a political view, and an opinion, whatever, and we put that ahead of people, we're actually creating a fence that's, that's preventing people from coming to that knowledge of Christ and the freedom that can come with that. So we don't want to be, I don't want to be building barriers. I don't want to be building fences. 
I want to be following God's plan for my life, not my own plan. And, and, and there might be times where it comes at a, at a price. I have to pay a price. There might be times where I'm nervous, where I have to step out you know, of my comfort zone to do what God's called me to do. But I want to be running his plan. I want to be running towards him. Remember that the further you run away, the longer you've got to come back. If you're run, The further you run in the wrong direction, the further you've got to come back. The longer you've got to give it back. Maybe the longer you've got to ride inside that fish <laughs> to get back. The stinkier you are when you get out. So I think with Jonah we see a reluctant servant, yet, yet we also see the power of a merciful God. You know, if, if, such, if a whole city can, can repent and turn based on the witness of a reluctant servant, we serve a... a such a, a powerful and graceful God who wants to see us, you know, he wants to see the lost come to him. So it's so better. If you've been running away from God, give up. <laughs> Repent, turn, turn towards him. Why don't we close in prayer? Father God, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the opportunity through your word Lord, to, to hear your heart and to know uh, you know, your plans, you have plans for all of us, each and every one of us, plans to prosper us, not to harm us, to give us a hope and a future. God, you, you desire that for those who don't know you. You desire that for those who do know you. And, and Lord, I pray that we, as we live our life, will not be people who build barriers and build fences, but rather remove them. Uh, that we'll be people who sow seeds and uh, encourage life and growth. Uh, Lord, we'll be people who turn towards you and run towards you uh, rather than running away from you. So God, no matter where any of us are in our journey, Lord, I pray that we would have ears to hear what you're saying to us this day and an obedient heart to respond to your voice for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Rock Christian Church Podcast. To be notified when the next episode is available, subscribe on our website at therock.org.au. You can also connect with us on Facebook at The Rock Christian Church. We hope you have been blessed today and we look forward to you joining us for our next episode.